We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Sports Blog Podcast, the Bearcat. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Long. With me, my co-host, Andy Johnson. How are you feeling? You almost said Andy J. Beast Mode, didn't I you? I did. I almost <laughs> did say Andy J. Beast Mode. Damn it. Yeah, it was close. It was close. How are you, bud? What are, what are we, this Sunday night? Sunday night, right? Yeah, pretty good. It feels... Like, we had a long weekend because we didn't have football last night. It feels night. like we had a bye week in a really, really <laughs> weird way. I was, like, re- expecting Nick's column to go up today, and it wasn't there. I was like, what is happening? Well, you also texted me, what was it, late last night or, like, <laughs> yesterday? Was it yesterday morning where you texted me? And you were like, why, where's the recap? Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, there's no recap on the site. And I was like, the recap's up. And it's all because you forgot to click refresh on your browser. Yeah. It was all left over from being at the game. So everything was like, it was like a time warp. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't far enough back. We'd still lost. So can't erase that. Can't erase that one. But man, um, what a Friday night. Um, that that was a, was it a special Friday night? I, I, I don't know how to describe what happened on Friday night, but... Friday night, nonetheless. Um, before we begin, do we have any housekeeping? Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head. I don't. I don't think so. I guess we'll dive right into it. Um, Friday night, number fifteen, California hosts Arizona State um, on a Friday night ESPN game. Cal loses seventeen to fourteen. Chase Garbers um, plays. About a about a half, right? You you you'd think that's about a half because he Monster yeah. came in and played maybe what like one drive I think mm-hmm. in the yeah. first half. So yeah, he played just about a half before he went down injured. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Garbers was nine of twelve for 117 yards and one touchdown before his injury. Monster comes in for the rest of the game, throws five of 14 for 23 yards, one interception. Um, rushing wise, Chris Brown Jr. led the way with 18 rushes for 54 yards and a touchdown with a long of 13. Trayvon Clark um, led the way in yards with 68 yards on four receptions on six targets and a touchdown with also a long for 45 yards. Um, defensively, the Bears, of course, led by Evan Weaver, 15 total tackles, uh, 1.5 tackles for loss. Cam Good also making his return with 11 tackles, one sack and two tackles for loss, one QB hurry and one forced fumble. Whew, what a stat line. And that's pretty much it 
Andy, I need your initial thoughts about this game, and then we're going to go into some of our reader questions, which have a lot to do with this game, and then we'll go into our points that don't overlap with whatever we answered with the fan fan mail. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so Arizona State game. Um, it was it was really interesting. Uh, I don't know. I can't. It's it's been a little bit of a weird like day after for me. Um, two day after, if, <laughs> if you will. How tired were you on Saturday morning? Well, I played five sets of tennis, so <laughs> uh, I had to be up and at them. But I was yeah, I was pretty tired. Um, I think that for me, I didn't walk away from this game being overly upset. And I sat there in the press conference, staring Wilcox in the face thinking that he was going to murder me for simply just sitting there. He didn't make eye contact with you, though. And then, yes, fair. (laughs) (laughs) And then Evan Weaver came in, and I was like, guys, like, I think we need to take the people in the front row and move them to the back row. (laughs) Let's give that man some space. (laughs) Let's just FaceTime this. Yeah. Like, we don't need to do this in person. Yeah, there's we can do these things remote. (laughs) This is 2019. We don't have to be so close to each other. Uh so yeah, despite the reaction of the team, I thought it was really interesting. I was more upset as everybody that listens to this podcast knows after the North Texas game than I was after this game. Um just and, our just our like tone right now alone is significantly like higher and better than we were after the North Texas game. Or yeah. after the old miss game too. I had this weird sense of relief after, and this is gonna be really weird and probably an unpopular opinion, but it all in all, I think I so in the preview podcast, the one that got deleted, I spelled out what our schedule was going to be in regards to victories. And what I had said was that we're going to be four and one going into the Oregon game. I did not expect us to be Washington. And, uh, and then, so I didn't call that, but I did call everything else a win. And, um, so, I mean, fine trade Washington for Arizona state. We're right where I expected to be with my, as Josh likes to say, cloud nine wins. So, for me, we're not off of expectation, so it feels weird to be to think otherwise. And I think I say this a lot: uh, is that expectations are a hell of a thing. And when you move to number fifteen, we get big stars in our eyes, and we're like, "Oh, we could be in the Rose Bowl." You know? <laughs> and uh, the champion, the college football player. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's, and then everyone's like, "Oh, Cal's like the last hope for the Pac-12 and the." college football playoff like first of all no they're not it's way too early in the season and uh so anyways that's sort of like where i came out i was like this this didn't really matter we lost to a team that plays in the pac-12 south it's not as big of a loss as let's say maybe if we lost to washington state in this way it would have meant a lot more because later in the season right now yeah it, it hurts it was a winnable football game which is why i think you saw that anger from wilcox but i have a bunch of issues with um kind of how we managed the second half and what our approach was and all that type of stuff. So there's bones to be picked. Um, but I don't, I don't come away from this thinking we need to go and downgrade expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Seasons over Cal. This is just classic Cal. Uh, it's like, no, it's not, it's not, it's just too early. I mean, it's the same as last year, right? You know, when we got to our sixth win last year, and immediately, the thing I said on the, that first podcast after we got our six was, now we're playing with house money, right? That's kind of how I felt after we beat Old Miss when we were 4-0. It's like, we're, we weren't expected to be 4-0, right? 
you're playing with house money going into the ASU and Oregon game. And we got a lot of flack for like the the talk last week about like, you know, how do you get to a Pac-12 North championship and stuff. But I mean, I talked to the Oregon guys today on their podcast. If you want to listen to that, I, I think it'll go up on their site sometime this week. But, you know, we were we talked about it at the end of that. The ASU loss isn't as big of a deal in the big picture as it is for this season as if we would if your expectation is still that we would compete for the Pac-12 North this win isn't as bad as losing to Oregon like if we lose to Oregon next week that that hope of like maybe we compete for the Pac-12 North goes straight out the door because the moment you lose an advantage over any of the top tier Pac-12 North schools you don't give yourself a shot um so there was no path to getting to the Pac-12 North without beating Oregon there was a path with us still losing to Washington, weirdly, but there is no path without us beating Oregon. So we need we need that to happen more so than us going back in time and, and beating Arizona State. So, yeah, it's a it's one of those. But I, I totally agree with you. There's a lot of issues that stem from this game that we do need to address and we do need to talk about. So fan mail. This is where the re- the like listeners create our content for us. So keep them coming. Keep them coming. We love it. Uh, well, I mean, you already answered this one, but I'll start with this one. Josh sends us and says, does Andy J. Bismo still believe in Cloud9 wins? Yeah, well, okay. So I was thinking about this. My initial reaction was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> but uh, then I was like, uh, I believe I said I like downgraded my win expectation after North Texas. And then after Ole Miss, I like was like, okay, well, garbage is good somehow. So, so back to nine. <laughs> so I was like, maybe we'll go back to nine now. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely. It. I honestly think Cloud Nine wins is achievable with losing to Oregon. I think it's very achievable. Let's just paint my worst case scenario in the next two weeks: is you lose to Oregon and you win against Oregon State. Like I'm not even going to fathom the idea of an upset against Oregon State as even being in the realm of possibility. So we lose to Oregon, we have a bye week, and then we go to Oregon State. We play and, them here. Uh, yeah, yeah, at yeah. home. And uh, you're 5-2, and two, right? Yeah. So you need three more wins on the rest of the schedule. Who's going to tell me that SC, Stanford, UCLA couldn't all three be wins? And then you throw in a Washington State team. Which Washington looks State beatable team. now. Yeah, it's beatable, and we play against Air Raids super well and have been played them tough. Uh, I mean, it's just like... And even Utah looks, you know, there's cracks in the armor there. So, um, you you can't give me three of those five. I would take three of those five. Like, I no mean, if problem. we're if we're five and two, like I'm looking at the schedule, and you can't tell me that those three California school games don't look winnable. That alone gets you to eight. Yeah. Like if you can if you can get those three, like I'm not saying that those are surefire wins, but there there have been years where two out of those three games are not winnable like with our current team unwinnable games sure three years ago yeah but now those and especially how well we've grown up and how far some of those teams have declined especially this year those three definitely look like you know at the very least coin toss games as season free fall and they're like giving away football (laughs) chances to play competitive football uh, Helton's going to get fired. They don't have an athletic director. The fan base is rooting for Harbaugh to come back to the West Coast. I mean, SC, and they're on their third quarterback. They're like, and he seems 
like there's some positives there. So he's it's not decent. He's yeah. not bad. But to for me to like I yeah, I can see the path to cloud nine wins. Like eight wins regular season, bowl game. Um which once again, if we did that, I would be super, super happy. But it's just so interesting about how it happens. Yeah. If we did beat Oregon and you do go to something where like you're looking at a five six and one type scenario and then you win two of those games i guarantee you the tone of the rest of the season because now let's say you lose against ucla maybe you lose stanford so you don't get the big game you still got eight wins right you got two so you got two more wins but you also lost probably some other winnable games i guarantee this we're in the same spot where everyone's like oh it could have been better we could have done more and it's like man I, I got to just keep reminding myself. Eight wins. I said I would take it. I'm taking it. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, uh, I think I'm sticking to that train um, pretty hard here. And I think it will take a lot for me to come off of it. Like, there would have to be a seismic shift for me to come off of of that, looking at, like, what's happened in the Pac-12. And luckily, like, that is the nice thing about playing on Friday. Because then you had Saturday to kind of observe everything that happened in the Pac-12. And you're like, oh, okay, like, cool. We're yeah. in a pretty good spot. You know, like Saturday, Saturday was great. Just sitting there watching all those other Pac-12 schools like struggle and like just their games like turn into whatever the Pac-12 football is. And just sitting there laughing was just so much joy without the stress of like, you know, watching us play. It was so much fun. <laughs> and then uh, and then side note is like watching Nebraska get pummeled by Ohio State and Adrian Martinez having a negative quarterback rating was whoosh. All right, um, so we that that's a fun one to start off with, and then we have some questions about the game in particular. Uh, but then we have one comment which I'm going to read to you. He says, "Boys, I need some sunshine pumping. Make me feel better about the outlook of the rest of the season." I think we kind of just did that. With yeah, said enough right there. I think that's enough right there. <laughs> like, um, don't worry, we got this. Yeah, eight wins, minted, <laughs> pressed, like ship it. <laughs> We're there. All right, some questions uh, about the game and some general stuff about leading into the the immediate future of Cal football. So the first one, why was our defense so subpar against ASU? To what extent was it bad scheme versus bad execution? There was another question um, regarding that. And also, let me pull it up. Uh, Why were there so many blown coverages slash wide open wide receivers during the ASU game? So... If you don't mind, I want, I'd, I'd like to answer this because I actually had this conversation with the Oregon guys today because one of the Oregon guys, um, uh, I can't, I can't spell his, I don't know how to say his, like his username or like his persona name. Um, it's like, it's like help, uh, Hiddle to Hiddle day, Hiddle day. It's like, it's supposed to be like, you know, that like the, they have that term of like, um, all the, all the day or something like that. Something. Anyways. No idea. <laughs> he watches a he watches a lot of tape and breaks down and charts all the games. He he watched the North Texas game. Or no, sorry. The Washington game, the Ole Miss game, and then the ASU game, and he charted it and we were talking about the DBs. And he asked me, you know, he seems to look at the com he saw the comments and he sees like a lot of you know, comments about how the DBs aren't performing particularly well this year. Like if I saw anything differently, um, or if I agree. He disagrees with most of what people are saying is that they're underperforming my answer is kind of twofold the first one is tackling across the board has been a very bad issue 
Like, we are not good at tackling this year for some odd godforsaken reason. And we just can't wrap guys up to, like, close out plays. And it com- it always comes in, like, significant third down or significant moments. I don't know how you fix that. Um, rather, other than just drilling the tackling drills and, like, the form and the tackling angles. And you just hope that you just get into midseason form in a little bit. But the other thing is, all right. My with my limited football knowledge of of coaching and all that, the defense if if a quarterback's sitting in the pocket for let's say eight seconds, right? You're expecting maybe the first three or four seconds is him surveying and him making a decision to pull the trigger or not. If he can't pull the trigger, what does that usually mean? It means one of two things: either the offensive line is doing an amazing job of protection, and it's deep ball plays that needs to be developed, or two. The secondary on the other team and the linebackers that are that have dropped into coverage have done an outstanding job of covering, and he has nowhere to throw. We have no gauge of that because we can't see the all-22 um, angle. And especially in real live game, if you're sitting there like us in the press box or if you're in the stands, like you're naturally just gravitated to where the ball is. You're not looking at the whole field as you know a, a whole. So let's say the guys do their job. That means within the next like three to four seconds, within that eight clock span, you're expecting your defensive line to either crunch the pocket and sack him, force him out, and do something outside of that. We actually did that a lot against ASU, where we forced him out of the pocket, the pocket collapsed, even though he was sitting there surveying, and then he would scramble. This leads to that second question of why were so many ASU guys open, right? The DBs actually... I think did exactly what they were told. The pocket collapses, he scrambles, right? Scramble drills are the hardest thing to cover as a secondary because the play has broken down. Now you're just reacting to whatever the wide receiver does. This the cornerbacks and the safeties decide to back off, not allow them to do that Aaron Rodgers thing where Aaron Rodgers scrambles, the wide receivers immediately know to whatever route they're doing, just run a go route. Just get past the secondary and he'll launch it over the top. Our secondaries did the exact opposite. They sat back. They kept all the wide receivers in front of them and made sure whenever Jaden Daniels decided to throw, they would be in an, in a spot to be able to tackle them. So, yes, the wide receivers are open down the sidelines, but you have to also account for how many of those were broken plays and how many of those accounted for big runs. Like, yeah, it might have gone 15 yards downfield, but if they had crashed down to try and stop Jaden Daniels from running, that could have ended up leading to like a 50-yard touchdown pass. So they're doing what they're told. And if if the then the issue becomes our pass rush, because that means our defensive line and linebackers aren't getting to Jaden Daniels when the pocket collapses and he has nowhere to throw because the coverage is so great on the back end. So, yeah, and it also leads to, like, the whole statistics thing, right? Like, why aren't we getting enough interceptions? If the guy's not throwing to our secondary, you can't make interceptions. Like, it's a reactionary-based stat. Like, you can't get interceptions unless the ball is thrown in your direction. And if he has nowhere to throw and he's making these throws on the run on broken plays, yes, they might be open, but that also doesn't give those guys a chance to fully make interceptions unless one of two things happens. One, the quarterback makes a bad throw and a bad read. Or two, you get a QB hurry or you you hit him as he throws. And that's like a half sack in my opinion. So that's where I'm at with like the defense as a whole and like people saying like the DBs aren't producing. They're not, they're not playing as well as they have I, I honestly think they are, and they're just not getting the respect because you're not being, you're not able to see. 
the whole game. I might be totally wrong because I'm not looking at the all 22 broadcast, but that's what I mean. That's what I would have said. Yeah. Um, but I think you nailed all of the points that I would have tried to go to um, with better detail in in your answer there. So that that's great. I th- we'll try to provide uh, some that maybe are a little bit more outside the box. But we're evaluating a full. I think it's important to remember we're evaluating a full season's defense against a team that's played. Uh, five games so if you had i mean it, let's just go back like let's go back to last year last year we started off and the, the defense looked exactly the same i seem to remember an article out there about how we were playing basically a bend not break defense and then october came around and then we were a really really good defense <laughs> and we were shutting down opponents and forcing turnovers and just everything started clicking faster i would say that's probably what we're seeing here as well uh the old miss game seemed to be like a couple of breakdowns late you know like the same type of stuff you yeah, drop everybody back in coverage uh was like plumsley or whatever <laughs> plumley plumley it's one of those uh, other plumleys like there's more plumleys in this world <laughs> and he you know sneaks out of the pocket and it's just a really hard thing to game plan for when you're not expecting out of carol so uh, and then if you go into this game, as you said, uh, the the biggest difference in this game was was Jaden Daniels, and uh, I I tweeted this. You know, Benjamin was the one that got all the accolades for having a hundred plus yards and three touchdowns. Benjamin was mediocre; like he was three point four yards per carry. There wasn't he wasn't he was fine. He wasn't breaking off like twenty fifty thirty yard runs. Sitting behind an O line, I was getting four yards every play. Now this will ruin one of my points, but. Uh, whatever. So the uh, the biggest thing in this game was what you said. And I think if you look at the Cal defense, if you want to isolate one issue that they have, I wouldn't look at the DBs. I wouldn't look at the linebackers. I would look at the pass rush because we're having to take guys out of position or uh, out of being able to play and drop back to have to send them to get extra pressure on the quarterback. We're not getting that push. And when Arizona State got beyond the 50, before the 50, we did pretty well. But when they got beyond the 50, it was easy churning on the ground, four yards. And the line was there before the back. Their O-line was there before the running back was. So it was not a matter of, like, just Benjamin being this really good talent. I am not. I don't mean that he's bad. Like, he's great. He played great. Like, I don't mean to completely just undermine just his Just in the context of the game. But, yeah, I just didn't see anything there where I was like, oh, my gosh, the running back. By far, more of my comments came about Jaden Daniels and was how poised he was for a true freshman, how sad I was inside that he didn't choose Cal. Um, and uh, on that drive alone, I think the plays, the biggest plays that happened when they had the ball in uh, their own territory were the ones where he ended up leaking out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think our standards might be a little too high. I mean, the last time Cal, like, you know, the, the extreme case, right? The last time Cal's DBs led the, the country in interceptions or was second in the country in interceptions, that was 2015. And we all know how that season panned out and how that defense yeah. looked. Like, the interception stat to me is like one of those where it's it's very just of the moment. You know, great. You had a bunch of you had a bunch of, bunch of interceptions, but like you can it, like it doesn't matter if you're bleeding points the rest of the way, which that defense definitely did. 
And some of these guys that are on this team right now and are seniors were on that team. I mean, underrated moment. <laughs> <laughs> underrated moment in this game was, uh, I mean, it's not a fun moment for Cal fans to go and relive, but we give up the ball and turnover on downs, and then Arizona State gets it and goes absolutely nowhere, and the defense shuts them down and give the ball back. You know, they kick the field goal, and Cal gets the ball back with, like, 2.53 to play. I mean, at the time, you're like, oh, it's ball game. And then we got the ball back with more than enough time uh, to go down the field and get seven points. So uh, they were stout when they could be, and then it just sort of seemed like when they were blitzing, and uh, it just seemed like either Daniels got loose or they would. what they would do is um, – actually, I got to credit my, my CEO, Clint, uh, was the one that – uh, pointed this out and he played football at Penn and he was saying that every single time that we would send an extra guy they would take the running back and they'd have the running back fill the position that that guy just left and drop back and just sit there as a target and then Daniels would hit him and then he would gain like six yards that's your and, safety valve and the one area is like so what you said we didn't wrap up that well and I think why are we not wrapping up that well it's probably early. Maybe the coaches were like, oh, we're better at tackling now. Maybe we don't need to focus on as much. Maybe the quarterbacks don't need to know how to tackle this year <laughs> instead of years past. All right. Uh, yeah, so maybe, you know, that was one of those things. I mean, one of the things, too, is like, like I mean, I'll, I'll burn one of my points here is that not having like a, a true nose guard in the middle definitely hurts all the way through because that's also one of the reasons we're going to have to send an extra guy. Because when you had a guy like Chris Palmer last year, or you have a guy like Aaron Maldonado or CU, like you have a guy who's big enough and hefty enough that is going to command double teams. Like if you have a guy, if you're going to play like a true three, four, you have to have a nose guard that's eat, that can eat up the center and one of the guards. Cause it's a numbers game, right? You want, you want to be advantageous as much as possible in terms of numbers. You want, you want to be able to use one and they have to use two or three against that one. Because then it helps, you know, all around. Not having that, I mean, definitely hurts our interior run defense. Like, you know, when they're running up the middle between the tackles, like, Lord, when they're running power, like, between the tackles, sheesh, like, we can't stop them whatsoever. Yep. Um, that coupled with, I think, Coin Dang is going through a Division One learning curve. Big time. And He's he, just a little late. He's just a little late, and yeah. it's and sometimes wrong angles that makes him late. Yeah, and there are times where his athleticism and his and his size helps him mask some of those things. But there's a lot of times where he'll take the wrong angle, and the and the running back will just kind of swerve around him. Yep, and he's already he's already diving for the tackle, and it's just out of reach. And that's okay. And that's okay. That's a learning curve. But that we have to take those things in stride too. Like we can't expect all JUCOs to come in and and be like premier guys right away like that's what we thought of trevin clark too and it took him four games before we saw him finally start to make an impact starting last week's old miss game and into here as well so like we got to grow with the growing pains and you just like you got to look at the whole picture as a whole like it, it's like it's weird to me if you're just looking at like the defense and you're expecting them to perform last year like one of our star guys on defense is currently in the nfl that are that is big shoes to fill from a Juco guy that's just coming in and changing positions, nonetheless. Tough. It's tough. All right, we got more questions. Um, Let's see. Do you want future or about this this game? That's this game. So. Okay. How much responsibility do you think Baldwin deserves to bear, no pun intended, for being unable to adjust the offense for Modster to put him in better situations to succeed? More design runs, rollouts, screens, etc.? 
once it was evident he couldn't throw the ball. All right, so I love this question except for the end. <laughs> I just want to say, I mean, it's a, it's a good question, but I just, uh, I think the entire idea of Monster being unable to throw the football is a fallacy, and I just want to put it out there. The guy can throw a football. He has good form. Uh, you know, please don't let 14 attempts uh, be your your judgment on whether or not he can throw. Do I think this game is entirely on Baldwin's shoulders? Like 65 to 70%. Yeah, I'd say so. I thought that the second half play calling was boring. It was conservative. It was uh, playing into a narrative of us being afraid to put the ball in the air. It was not get, lending any confidence to the quarterback. I thought exactly as you know the individual who wrote the question said, like the lack of designed rollouts, uh, our run play outside of except for that first drive of the second half where we just ran it down their throat. It was super. It just got really, really predictable. Well, you um, also know we didn't pass a single time on that drive. The thing is, when I went back and rewatched it, you know one of those plays was actually a pass. It's that Devin Monster had a low snap, and, so he yeah, kind of yeah, bobbled yeah. it, and he couldn't throw anywhere So he because it was already late anyway. So he picked it up and just ran. Yeah. <laughs> and he made it into a gain of, I think, what was it, like six, eight? Yeah, six or eight like yards? Yeah. yeah. So that's why it ended up being all runs. So there was one pass. that's good knowledge that's really good knowledge i uh so yeah i think that's i I just i refute the idea that devin monster isn't a quarterback that's more than capable of succeeding in the pac-12 i really think that he is and then on top of it uh i think that we did nothing to help i like i loved all right whatever this is my second point so whatever i have a bunch of stuff on monster so here we go let's burn them um I absolutely loved the, the interception in the touchdown or in the end zone before the half. I loved it because I like that we went for it. If we don't go for those type of things, we are doing exactly what I didn't like about the North Texas game. Throw the ball when you have it in their territory like that in a game that's, you know, tends is a little low scoring. I'd take the shot, right? Okay, so he puts it short, and he has the guy open if he puts it corner end zone. But he just doesn't. Yeah, just a little, deeper. Yeah, just a little, a little deeper. deeper. But, um, yeah, and, you know, credit to Trace for being the first one to really point that out. But, I mean, I just think that take the shot. That's the offense that I want. I don't want to be this turtle offense that just, like, kicks field goals and then, like, crawls into its shell and then says, like, defense, come save us. Like, I don't want to play that style of football. I want to have a functional offense with a quarterback that's unafraid to make a mistake, um, but also knows, you know, makes that decision. Okay, I can't just throw all the time, right? I can't just <laughs> continually make mistakes. But I have confidence that I'm not gonna, you know, be in trouble if I turn the ball over one time. And yeah, that play ended up being important, kind of. But it, you know, if we kick a field goal there, we probably still lose the game anyways. So uh, we well, threw the interception, but it didn't. It didn't end up turning into points. And then right. we started off with the ball back to start the second half. Yeah, so to me, make that throw. Um, I also wanted to take a look at his stat line because, like, he's 5 for 14. But I think that's, like, pretty misleading. He was, like, seven of those attempts came in, the, like, the last two drives, I want to say. Yeah. So, like, that to me is, like, why are you not giving a quarterback the ability to get into rhythm? You already know. All right. We can go on a deep, deeper level here, which is why you can either 
start to question things like, why is your backup quarterback so unbelievably not ready to play in a football game if they have to come in? Particularly when your starting quarterback got injured the week before and had to come out of the game. That should have signaled a warning sign like, hey, maybe we should have this other guy ready. Uh, And then secondarily, it's like, is the playbook too complicated? The O-line play was really bad. I thought like the O-line was letting the ASU defensive line really dictate a lot of the throwing lanes, and then they were putting their hands up. And I mean, they made there was nothing easy for Modster in that game, other than maybe like a couple bad throws that he had. Like one, I remember to the outside, they left super short, and the, everybody in the stadium kind of went, "Oh my gosh!" Like you literally heard that audibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this to say, I'm not worried about Modster. Uh, I think he's going to be more than fine. Worst case scenario, again, we lose this week, we get a bye week, and we go to Oregon State, which should be a lot more fun to play offense against Oregon State's defense. Um, but I am more concerned about like our offensive coaching. I'm a little bit worried about like why our backup was so uh, unable to like be successful. Um, and I feel like this is tough for me to swallow because I Earlier in the year, I was talking about like the play design being really good, and I thought the play calling was actually pretty strong for the first half. Um, but then I think that this is an obvious kind of um, area of doubt now uh, going after this game. But obviously, don't want to have too big of a reaction. So yeah, I just think that there's this line that Wilcox used about the free throws, right, in the press conference. So we don't teach our guys to go up there, or we don't tell our guys to go up there and don't miss the free throw. That's not how we coach. But there's starting to be a pattern here of quarterbacks that are scared to throw the ball. We have Bowers, we have Garbers, and now we have a data point of Monster. And they all look the same. So now you can kind of look at it and say, okay, from an analyst perspective, I have consistencies here where I thought I had variables. And now I would go back and think about the coaching, whether it's at the top with Wilcox and like where their faith lies, because monster like completely was bottled like they sent the signal of we don't want you to turn the ball over right did you not feel i felt that did you feel that yeah well yeah. You, you you run how many times to start the opening drive right like you, not one play action like yeah not a single one not even a quick slant <laughs> like just to get his arm like warmed up like in the field like how to get get yourself ready yeah i miss like i do miss some of the air raid stuff where we had those you know it was a lot more about just getting two three yards on that first down like get the ball out fast get the ball out to the receiver and then bring up second and seven because then the offensive positions we're putting ourselves in now, particularly on one of the uh, the last two drives that we went for and out on the one where we run the ball on second down just for the sake of running. I was like, dude, then this is just running the ball for the sake of doing it. It doesn't make any sense. The defense was all over it. It's also been super unsuccessful all game. Yeah. Yeah. So, or not all game, but like as soon as the second half started and that first drive went through and we basically ran it into the end zone, ASU was basically like, All right, you wanna do that? Well we're just gonna we're just gonna send everyone and stop your run. Yeah. Let's see if your backup quarterback can throw. Yeah. And then we were like, uh we're just gonna keep running and see if we can break through. So I think if there's anything that uh, we've been really positive on Wilcox, and I think for very good reason, but there is an underlying current here of be of sort of performance that I think stems from coaching that around turnovers. And especially because we know that that's one of those areas that the coaching staff really highlights. 
that is leading to some form of yips anxiety that happen that sort of showcases itself in the game and uh whether or not they're doing it intentionally or if it's like a kind of like a subtext it's definitely there because what we saw from monster wasn't a you know a starting quarterback out of like you know that are a, a basically a pac-12 quarterback that had played for ucla in a starting role um it was you know he looked like a true freshman yeah i mean the thing is too like i guess this is my side of that is i don't know how much you're expecting a backup quarterback to come in that is a junior right so you're not expect you're not you don't have to dumb down the playbook like you would a true freshman quarterback. Like if we had thrown Spencer Brash out there, like you're dumbing down the menu of the game, you're dumbing down everything possible and you're making it the easiest possible like game calling for him, right? We didn't need to do that. He's a junior. He's been through the system before. Like he he I'm sure by this point like he knows the playbook and he knows the things. But then at the same time like you throw him out there and your run game is pretty much nothing like you're getting maybe two yards a run and you're throwing him out there expecting him to just like just flamethrower like ignite himself and ignite this offense like maybe i mean he did kind of that with his feet right but you can't expect like all backup quarterbacks to just come in and just light it up and so like I think, yeah, I'm I'm in the I'm in the same boat. Like he'll come good, in my opinion. In you know, and I've watched him in practice too. Like he's not a bad quarterback. He's not bad at throwing. He's actually had some. Actually, he's had probably better deep passes than Garbers did all of camp. It was a matter of Garbers being consistent and um, having a firmer grasp of the offense than it was about you know like ability, which Garbers had enough of too. But I, there's there's enough there to, to be like, this dude can definitely play football. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those weird things where, like, you have to take the entire environment of what he was put into in into context as well. You can't just say, like, oh, he came in because the other quarterback, you know, sucked or, or got injured. And they did the exact same thing as in the first half. And he was a lot worse. Like it was, it wasn't like that. The narrative, you can't push that narrative because that's a, it's definitely not what happened in the game. And 37, so, 37 rushing attempts, one hundred and five rushing yards, two point eight yards per carry. Mm-hmm. There's just, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like we had fool's gold in the second half, first drive, or the first drive of the second half. It yeah, was like I, totally the worst thing that could have possibly happened for that coaching staff was to see if you just run the ball the whole time that you could win. And then we got the three-point lead, and we went turtle mode. <laughs> like it's the opposite of beast mode. You crawl into a turtle shell, and you just put everything on your defense. And your defense just – we can't keep doing that. Like yeah. We can't. We can't. Um, this game towards the end of the game reverted back to last year because, yeah, our defense is great. But you can't keep punting and then giving the ball up like on their 45 and giving up bad field position and expecting your defense to bail you out every single time. Yeah. It's just, it's not, that's not a healthy way of playing football. All right. This is another question that kind of leads from that. Is that in, is the general rustiness of our backup QB a system of our offensive system, i.e. the types of plays or access to the playbook as opposed to just numbers of reps? How do other schools like USC plug and play their second and third strings? Does that go beyond talent? 
All right, here's my take on this. First off, Monster was not eligible for basically the first three weeks of the season. What does that mean? We don't know because we didn't, we don't, or we're not allowed to watch practice during those three weeks. Did he practice? I'm sure he did. But was he a main factor of like getting first team reps or second team reps with the potential of playing as the backup? Probably not. That's probably, that was probably Robbie Rowell and Spencer Brash's job. So he played all of fall camp, but all of, even all throughout fall camp, yeah, you kind of knew who the ones were on offense. But at the same time, this dude has just come in and he's learning through the playbook, right? And he has to get adjusted to all of his wide receivers and all the calls. And this isn't an excuse. It's just that's how it is when you're a transfer or a new guy. Like you have to learn everything from the ground up. Granted, there's some, you know, crossover in in styles of playbook and and calls because he he was also coached by Coach Tui. So, you know, offensively, some similar principles, but... The wording, the repertoire, like how some wide receivers like it in this spot, some wide receivers like it in this spot on, you know, different types of routes and whatnot, all that. So all, all of that considered, do we know how much he practiced? I mean, because we know he was eligible for the Ole Miss game because he came in and played a snap. Do we know how much he practiced in that week? He, no. I mean, we didn't get to watch. But I'm sure he did. Of course he practiced because being, being not eligible doesn't mean you can't practice with the team. It's just that you're not able to play in the games. Yeah. So that being said, um, my understanding of how offensive coordinators run a offense is you have a playbook. Let's say it's like a dictionary. Okay. You game plan for an opponent and you pick out like the sets of plays that you want to run that that game. You you can't use the full playbook because that is an immensely amount, a crazy amount of information your quarterback needs to have in their brain and to be able to like just do every 40 seconds. So, you know, if, if you have a full dictionary, you realize that team is weak against B, like E, G, H, you know, you, you select it and that's the menu that you have for that game. Does that menu change based upon the quarterback you have in? Probably because every quarterback has a different skill set. So like so where do, so all in all like where does this this lean towards is it was it an inability to change that menu because you had already preset it for this game and then monster comes in and you're not confident that he's going to be able to execute that menu that you had planned so you divert back into the basic of whatever you had you know set up or is it that like, I mean, and this is super naive, and I highly, highly doubt that the coaches are thinking this way, but you're just thinking Chase has played so well last game, like he's going to be our starting quarterback, and you're not expecting him to get injured, of course. I mean, what what coach is expecting injury, right? But you're just not expecting that type of injury, and he goes out, and, you know, you go to your back of quarterback. So, like, how much was it, like, just bleed off from the old miss game and you kind of feel more confident with your guy and like and how much was it also monster because as monster you were sitting on the sideline watching chase light up old miss i don't think as monster barring injury you're expecting to play at all so maybe it was a preparation thing maybe he just wasn't it's like yeah he's he's playing great like i'm not basically going to be able to play unless he gets injured but of course no one's ever prepping to get injured (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, um, could totally be that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, think... there's just there's too many variables, and there's not a lot of answers here that like is for certain. No, I do think I love the question because I was yeah. saying the same thing after the game. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, just a great question because, like, why is USC able to just plug and play talent and get results out of it? Sometimes it's not good. It's, like, I think wasn't good this week, but, uh, you know, I think that I I I do not understand that, and I do think that if we had a better understanding of that we might be at a higher pay grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that is the question that sort of in my mind, is it a, is it a playbook thing? You know, uh, people say that like Kyle Shanahan's playbook is so compli- complicated that it takes two years to learn it. So his teams will really only reach their true potential in their third year, you know, things like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe Baldwin's, maybe Baldwin's playbook is just super complicated and hard to learn. I have a feeling it's probably more of what you're saying. Like I'm staring at a guy who's coming into his own. The coaches really believe in him. Uh, He's beat me out in camp. Uh, I wasn't eligible for for the first three weeks. So I wasn't getting reps. And, you know, I finally got my first, maybe second team reps for, for Ole Miss. And then now I'm in the game. I just took my first deep shot. And it got picked off. Oh, and by the way, the coaches aren't going to call me a throwing play until like four minutes left in the game when the entire defense thinks I'm going to pass. Like, yeah. To, it just goes back to what we said before where it's like, man, the to me, the coaches, the, the play calling failed the individual. It wasn't the player failing the coach. I just sort of felt like, and even in the last drive, like Dancy dropped one right over the middle that, you know, we had second and four. Dancy yeah. drops that. That was going to be like a pretty manageable third down. I think Jeremiah drops one too, right? And Granted, Jeremiah was a little, was behind, him, a little but... behind him. Totally catchable football. Yeah. You know? Totally catchable football. It. Yeah. Should have got it. So we never really got to see, in my mind, the true capabilities. Yes, he was wild on a couple of throws. They're underthrown. That is what you would expect from a backup quarterback. Some of those things are to be expected. Um, Here's like another... Another fun one. This is just, I think, a yes or no question. Is it time to switch to the triple option? Yes and yes. <laughs> Next question. Um, is Garber's potential season-ending injury the second most devastating injury for the program over the last 20 years? Number one being Nate Longshore. So here's the cov- caveat with 20 this. 20 years? <laughs> here's the caveat <laughs> with this. We have no idea whether Garber's is out for the year. With our sports knowledge combined... I'm pretty sure he's out for the year. It looks like he is because the the way you have your your arm slinged up like that usually means one of two things. Mm-hmm. Usually means it's a broken collarbone or like a separated shoulder or or something with your shoulder, like the way they had it slinged up. So separated shoulder, you can dangle it. Yeah. A collarbone, you cannot dangle it because it hurts too bad. Yeah. So that's why you have your arm on your stomach. Yeah. Check the film. And you'll see the way Garber's holding his arm. Yeah, and then after when he's on the sidelines, he has a yeah he has like a hoodie on. He has his left arm out, but his right arm is like under the hoodie, and he, his yeah. arm's not coming out of the the arm sleeve. Yeah. Clearly means they have it bundled up like around his body. So I mean, we'll find out on Monday for sure um, with the press availability, depending on when you're listening to this. But yeah, so that's the that's the caveat with this. But going back to the question, is it? Is is this the most devastating injury? I mean, I for me, you can't gauge that until after the season. Dude, I mean, yeah, I guess. I I don't think so. 
I think Cameron Good's injury from last year was more devastating. Yeah. Like, think about that defense and where it went and and what how, it could have been with Cam Good. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can, we can apply a retrospective lens to like <laughs> any season, and we can't apply it to this. So you're right. Like the fairest thing would be revisiting this at the end of the year. And then maybe judging that gap of okay, this is where we got. Where how much further could we have gotten? Should Garbers have been, you know, not go down with that type of injury? But I'm like, I mean, my head goes to I'm like, like what if Marshawn had two healthy ankles? Like he was running on two sprained ankles for most of his time at Cal. What if Javid never got concussed? Right, right. That <laughs> way, way more devastating. That Javid best injury, uh, and I've said this story. Future. Dude, that job and best injury was the most devastating injury I've ever witnessed in my entire life. I literally thought a person died on the yeah, field. Yeah, well, it, they did. I mean, <laughs> like, they did. Wow. Like, I was on the 10 with the team, and the play happened directly in front of me. I'm standing right next to his coach, and I have the entire, like, team on my right and O-line. So, Java goes up in the air falls back, seizes in front of everyone. So that was insane. Like convulses. Yeah, convulses. And then, like, nobody talked, and the entire team, like, literally thought they had seen somebody die. I mean, it was like everybody was so off kilter, was so out of it. There was no way we were going to win that game. Period. It was just, it was lost. So that's a perfect example of one that I think was, like, far more devastating. I don't think, like... I'm not even changing season expectations over here. Um, it just sucks because you started to see the evolution of a guy that we've been waiting to see, and it was happening, it was happening, it was happening, and now it's not. You know. <sighs> Anybody, anyone else? Like who else? What other injuries? I don't know. I mean, the one I can think of off the top of my head is the is the um, Nate Longshore one, just because of how well he was playing up until getting his ankle tweaked in the Oregon game. And then he was just never the same guy for the rest of the year. I mean, of course, Kevin Riley took over like about halfway through it. But, man, I mean, do you remember like that, that first half of that 07 season, like how well he was throwing the ball around with the with that wide receiver crew, which in my mind still is the best wide receiver core Cal has ever had, even considering the 2015 class, I think. That 07 group, oh, like we we ran numbers over guys with just our starting three. Just our starting three. Yeah, the long short one was pretty was pretty tough. Um I think it was eased by the fact that everybody thought Kevin Riley was the heir apparent. You know. He just had Rogers and everyone was looking for the next Rogers and and Riley was sort of there, so there was like some form of optimism and Longshore was always kind of underwhelming in a weird way. Yeah. You know, he like he was good, he just wasn't great yeah and it's like it's like that quarterback hangover from when you have great and you go to good and you're like eh, i kind of want great again <laughs> you know yeah. um but it's a great question i uh i i do think like there's probably a handful of injuries that i if we did a deeper dive into you could you could find some that would be a little yeah. bit more impactful. i'd be interested to getting maybe like one of those like cal historian dudes on here to talk about this after the season's over and you know, in retrospect, like what could have been? Is this one of the greatest seasons of a, what could have been Cal season? Um, but that also depends on what Monster does. Like, if Garbers is out for the rest of the year, what Monster Monster does starting next week? Like, if he let's 
Like, there's two ways this goes. Like, either he, like, exceeds what Garbers was doing and decides to start torching everyone. <laughs> and then the other side of this is that he reverts, like, not to the, the turnover-prone quarterbacks we had last year, but just that mediocre, like, maybe one touchdown a game or, like, you know, with zero interceptions or maybe the one-and-one one or two touchdowns to one interception games with, like, you know, 190 yards or 200 yards or so. Like, that doesn't really push the envelope anywhere, but... It's just like a solid, mediocre college quarterback. Yeah. And if we don't do that, then I'm going to start firing up the Jim Moore Jr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> offensive coordinator train. <laughs> Adams, Adams was really pushing for Zach Hill. We talked to him the other day. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's a bunch. There's a bunch here. Um, that's most of the questions. Before we, uh, before we kind of close... Are there any uh, other Ole Miss, or not, oh, sorry, Ole Miss, ASU game points that you wanted to talk about? Because I still have a few remaining here. Um, and I can go first if, you, if uh, you don't have any. I talked about most of it. Like, I talked about Maldonado. I talked about the DBs and how they played and what I think about how they play. Um, All right. Yeah, I'll go yeah. ASU stuff real fast. All right. Okay, so... Uh, Two things in my mind in regards to how did it, how did we lose? What do you think they are? I have two things that I think you could boil it. If you boil it down to two things, I think these are the two. Hmm. Can I say one of my points to the opposite of that? One of the things that didn't help, didn't get us the win, but kept us afloat was, this is my sentence. The defense did enough to put us in a position to win, but couldn't close out to get us the win. Yeah, that's that's one. Of, that was one of my points. I was gonna say but, uh, some similar to that too. I mean, I mean, how far have we changed to where like <laughs> twenty four points is like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with the defense? <laughs> Do we remember when we used to give up sixty points a game? <laughs> it's just a really fun kind of like revisit. Does no one remember that Washington State game? Like, granted, yeah, like, like UCLA Washington State had a crazy game last week. Do you not remember ours against Washington? We got a special teams coordinator fired. <laughs> I thought that, yeah, I thought that the UCLA Washington State game was preseason college basketball. I was like, wow, I had no idea that college basketball was back. Hey, that's exactly what my dad said. He saw the score on his phone, and he, when I was FaceTiming with him, he's like, hey, did college basketball season start? And I was like, why? <laughs> and he's like, because the UCLA Washington State game. I was like, no, no, that's a that's a football game. <laughs> that's a real football game. Joke. Ugh. Uh, all right, so do you want to guess? There's two things, two things that I think led to ASU winning the football game. What do you think those two things are? Our inability to get first downs. Something along those lines? Nope, but no. good point. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all I can think of is the offense. Like, I can't think of any for the defense. But it's all along those lines. Like, unbe- being able unable to run the ball. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think you're there. ASU offensive line versus our defensive line. Mm-hmm. Literally just about. getting beat over and over again from the line of scrimmage. And Jane, Jane, Jane Daniels. Yep. That's it. Those are the two. We just couldn't contain. He was crushing us. And at some point, we all should tip your cap to a true freshman. That could play that well. He looked so good. I was so pissed. I was like, dude, why didn't you come to Cal? The thing was with Jaden Daniels and how well we played too, wasn't that it was RPOs where he pulled and he ran. It was on scramble drills. Yeah. 
Like that's that's what killed us. And we had guys spy. Like I tweeted this out. We and I when I was watching the game, I distinctly remember we had Evan Weaver as a spy on certain plays. We had Coin Dang as spy on certain plays. We had Cam Good spy on in a couple plays. Like we had multiple guys spy, but there. But this comes back to the whole tackling thing. We would spy correctly. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Weaver had that perfect one. You and I both remember this. Where he runs into Beckett. He loses his footing because yep. his legs get cut out from under him. Because he hit his knees basically hit Beckett's butt. And he, he hits the floor. Otherwise, that's a wrap-up in the backfield. And they have to punt. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a huge play in the uh, game. Happened on, like, two in that drive. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Daniels. He, I love the way he drops back and goes through his progressions. He has a ton of confidence in his, in his offensive line. We weren't getting any pressure. And anytime we send somebody, they leak out a running back and they throw him. Or he'd roll out of the pocket and he would get loose and he would break, he'd beat our spies. And so at that point, like, tip your cap. He played super well. Their wide receivers also played super well. And I want to I want to point that out because their, their offense coordinator and their wide receiver coach is none other than former Cal wide receiver coach Rob Likens. Yeah, and if if you have the time, please, please, go back and watch Rob Likens' press conference leading up to the Cal game. So it was from last week, and he gives it's like a fifth, it's like I think ten minutes of a press conference, but he gives a coaching lesson or a lesson, a lesson <laughs> on a restacking and uh, like wide receiver play, and it's absolutely mind blowing. I learned so much within those five minutes that he was talking about that. But he has a cool story about um, like his decision to leave Cal to go to Kansas. And I'm, my my retelling of it won't do it justice. Like you have to see the emotion in his eyes and and what he talks about and you know how much it's he hated like like leaving those young wide receivers at the time. So if you have the time, please go and watch it. The dude's great. Um, and I'm if we have to change offense coordinators, that's yeah, one of the say, guys I want to call. He's got to be pretty high on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you got another one. So yeah, let's talk about the fans and the atmosphere. Mm. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> is this yeah. painful for you? This is this is painful. <laughs> this is actually painful for me. Why? Because because of one the the marketing push, and I know some of those guys that are on the marketing team at Cal, and I've talked to them about uh, what could we possibly do to get more fans to come out to games, and it kills me. It kills me because of all the work that they did and all of. The little Twitter videos of Evan Weaver on the bench, like telling guys to come out. Jalen Hawkins on the Twitter account, you know, saying we need you all out here. And the fans showed up. They didn't show up in full force. Okay. The student section, absolutely great. There was a little pocket at the top that was empty, but overall, packed student section, kept the sound going. I didn't see what the crowd was like underneath us because we're in the press box, but I've I've heard that it was pretty packed. Along, of course, the end zones it always is though. Yeah, the the end zones not 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 usually. Right. But then they also ran out or they sold out of the fifteen dollar ticket deal to, for the game. Forty seven thousand fans. I think on Tuesday or Wednesday I was told somewhere around forty five, and that was before the ASU fifteen dollar ticket sale. So it sucks because these people that are on the the fringe and guys that like. You know, people haven't, or the people that haven't come to Cal games in years, finally like got this fire ignited with them. With you know, the average fan like being drawn to the rankings, right? And then that's a gauge of how good your team is. The number fifteen sign on a Friday night hosting a Pac-12 team, like it, and the hype was real. The definite hype was real around the stadium with all the people there. And then this team loses in the fashion that they did. 
like if it was like a let's say it was one of those sunny dykes like 60 to 59 losses i guarantee you there would been people back in a couple weeks but like just how we how the offense as a whole flamed out towards the end and we had a lead like it it's it's gonna kill a lot of those wavering fans from coming back to a cal game just because it's like a Oh, we've been there before. Like the whole woe is me thing we were talking about, about being a Cal fan. That you've experienced like this type of letdown loss. Like we were great and we're we're on a roll. And of course we can't like keep it going. And it just sucks because now those fans aren't going to come back. And now you're going to have a, you know, revert back to the crowd that was at what? Like North Texas? Like that that type of crowd. And it, it stinks. It sucks for those guys because they deserve so much better in terms of like uh, a home field advantage but at the same time like I understand those fans feelings too like as a fan like you you come like you're all ignited and then you get a letdown game that loses and like that was your first game of the year like would you want to brave this the, all the stuff and come back like all right so here's here's mine please since do. you're you're on the the down side yeah I'll be on the upside okay well, don't get me wrong. I was on, I'm on the upside of what what the turnout was. It's just how it turned out. You guys are so down about this, and I just uh, I'm not there. Uh, one, we need more than 47k. I hate to say it. I know it's this day and age where like nobody goes to sporting events anymore, and like attendance is this hard thing to figure out. I get it. I I can't figure it out. But uh, I do think we were hurt by it being on a Friday, big time. Uh, mainly because we miss the high school audience. You miss high school football so all of those uh coaches kids parents they're all busy because that's when friday night lights like that's high school Mm -hmm. so we miss out on that audience and that's a high that is a target audience if you are cal as marketing office that's who you want coming out of the games uh not only for recruiting but um you know just that's a great part of your fan base because they're super close to the sport they understand it a deeper level than your casual fan well, not only not, that, those guys are the ones that grow up to be Cal fans, sure. like in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Exactly. Exactly that. I do not think that this experience is one that people will walk away from and be like, I wouldn't want to do that again. I really don't. It was a competitive game. It was fun. Cal took a lead late. They were in the lead till eight minutes left, and they happened to lose. Everybody that I brought to this game, I got to come out that were more casual fans. Also, they would love to come to another game. So I don't think that we're, I think I understand why it would have been great to deliver a win for that audience. I don't think that it will hurt our attendance going forward, depending on game time, because we keep getting 730 starts. There's nothing we can do. 730 starts suck for families. They can't bring kids out. It's a totally different story. But to be fair, that was our first 730 game of the season. That's fine. But if we keep getting seven thirty slots, yeah. I mean, so Oregon State's the next home game. I, so, there's no time for that one yet. Yeah. I don't believe so Oregon's at five. I think it's going to be a little hard to look at Oregon State as bringing that out, but I do think, you know, Oregon State will travel better than ASU traveled to this game. So the stadium might end up being more full than we expect. And then you're looking at Washington State and SC. Washington State always shows up. And SC. Always shows, shows up, up with boatloads of fans. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, the student section has been good. I think the only time when it really lacked a little bit was North Texas. And I think people got spooked. But I think we'll be fine. I think attendance will be great. I, the 
campus vibe was great. Uh, parties were going after parties were going on. I wanted to check one out. Rob said no. <laughs> it was a frat party going on in the back, like a back, like backyard parking lot of I one. I just wanted to see what it was like. You we really we saw the through days. the corner. Like we saw the lights and we saw the music. It looks you, fun. You looked at me like, fun. you want to go in? And I was like, <laughs> like you really want to do that right now? <laughs> gotta, sometimes you just got to relive it, you know? So anyways, um, I'm not concerned about attendance. I think I just, I think it was fun. I think it was a good way to spend a Friday night. And I don't, I mean, I know it was like, you could hear that one audible groan, but I think it's a different product. It's fun. It's a good vibe. It's college football. It's not the NFL. It's local. There's no other local team that's good. Stanford's trash. Like it's, you know, it's just like the Raiders are leaving. Raiders are leaving. Yeah, NFL's kind of wavering a little bit in popularity. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. My last one. I only have one more because we talked about the rest. I mean, we talked. My other two points that I had left. Where tackling struggles continue, which we talked about, mm. and Chase Garbers, and if he's unable to go for the rest of the year, is the question that will always be asked for the rest of the season, like the what if. That was yours. I mean, that was one of them. But my last one is because um, we did kind of talk about it with the whole what happens. But my last one, this is the loss we can afford, and you kind of talked about that point when we were going on the season. But this this is definitely the one that we can afford. Because we were expecting to go four and one in the first five games, it just sucks because we went four and zero, and then we lost to ASU. That's why it feels sucky. But if we were four and one going into the Oregon game, and let's say we had lost to Washington, right? Would anyone be this upset? No, no one would be. All in all, it's the same number. If anything, we have a win on a. If we ever need to go in a tiebreaker against Washington, we hold that tiebreaker now. Big time. It's, it's Big time. a much bigger win. Yeah, if exactly. If you traded them. I think people are generally upset uh, because of the Garber stuff. Yeah. So I can understand that. And I just think like we're getting more of a reaction out of this loss, which isn't actually that big of a loss. Uh, and also, like we have to check our own expectations again. Like, yep. I just like didn't, wasn't with the, we're going to be national contenders this year. It just was not the progression that I expected this program to make. Like, let's get a Miller Moss in at quarterback, right? Or Moss Miller. Moss Miller. Moss Miller Moss? Miller Moss. Miller Moss, sorry. Uh, let's get him in at quarterback. Let's get these guys in that are these big-time recruits, and then we can start to get those expectations. We're not recruiting at that level yet. We haven't brought in anyone on the offense that's really been – that dynamic of a recruit where we're like, you know, Nico is has been that. That's kind of it. Will Craig. But like Will Craig's amazing and like and he's, he's had a his injury has been massive. Yeah. I'd argue his injury is just as big as Garber's. Like losing Will Craig for the year has been devastating to our offensive line, which looked good early. Um but like that's it. I mean, we need we need to get four-star receivers. We need to get four-star quarterbacks. We need to get four-star running backs. We need to get uh, four or five-star you know, outside linebacker DN recruits. We need to be able to get – if you if that's where the expectations are, go, are, are going, let's get to the next level in recruiting first, and then let's go there. But for now, can we compete for the Pac-12 championship? Absolutely, for sure. I think we can do the Utah model. We can be highly competitive, uh, and that can spill into sort of – bigger recruits and maybe you get a recruiter like Tosh that starts to develop I mean, people forget like Tedford expectations were kind of eight and four nine and three type deal and then 
Tosh started recruiting these guys that were like five stars. And we were like, wow, what? where could this program then go? And then Tosh left for a boat in Washington and then decided that the rain sucks and went to Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, uh, we're so far from... And that's the problem. I think we were ranked like way too high. No, yeah, we were way overranked, and yeah. that was basically because we had beaten the Washington team and we were undefeated. Yeah, this early in the season, if you're undefeated, if you're like four and zero, five and zero, you're going to be ranked that high regardless of how close those wins were, and how unsustainable that type of winning is. Because there's not going to be a lot of teams with, you know, the one or two losses. My last thing on on that would be if you're a fan and you're listening to this and you live in the Bay Area. You need to be coming out to games because all in all, like I, we got a lot of questions about recruiting and yes, we had a boat ton of really good recruits at this game, namely 2021 quarterback, Miller Moss, uh, four-star tight end from 20, for 2021, uh, Jermaine Terry. Like we had, we had some really good guys at this and it, you might think that they care about the wins or losses. They don't, they really don't because what they're caring about is, is this a well? First of all, it's the football side of this. Like, where do I fit in in the system? Like, are they going to develop me well? That's a whole nother question. That, but the, when they come to an official visit or an unofficial and they see the game and it's packed out, like you want to play in those environments. And I'll be totally honest. Like, if I was a top tier football recruit, regardless of all the other things that that football programs can give me, like if I walk into the big house or if I walk into the horseshoe at Ohio State. And that's the, like, first type of, like, environment you experience. Like, everyone here is cheering for all of us. Like, everyone's in attendance, win or lose. Like, that sends, that sends shivers through your spine. And those are, the, those are the type of big elevated moments you want to play in as you advance in your football career or any professional career for that matter. So the more you come out, the more these guys are going to be drawn. If they come out and they see like 3,000 fans in the in the seats with how big our stadium is, like why would you want to play here? Like despite all the good academic stuff, we praise that stuff all the time. But as an athlete, like is that – it's like a high school gym. Like why would you want to be playing your Division One college football like in front of just a handful of people? So, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, to that like, – that's exactly it, I think is uh that atmosphere matters a lot and i mean i think all the locker room upgrades like it's it's really good time for us to recruit really well and and start to win i mean you think about ucla attendance and where ucla is at you look at stanford attendance and what their stadium vibes kind of feel like and where they're at this is a great year to pitch cal and so yeah i mean i how many tickets i get offered this game six and so if you need tickets, like, please reach out to the podcast. And if anything, like, I always have an athlete single ticket available <laughs> uh, at most games that I, because I'm up in the press box, I have an athlete. Well, I probably shouldn't advertise this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there but may there or other, may not be there are other ways. for me to get a ticket that I can get. And then I also get offered tickets a lot. Uh, I have season tickets for my family. Uh, and we sometimes get used, sometimes don't. So if there's like, I usually try to push them out to friends because I'm trying to get people to come to the games. Yep. And I think it's on all of us collectively to make sure that the attendance stays up. 
and it's the product is good. We know the product is fun to watch, and they're going to be competitive in every game. And it's not going to. The worst was when I took my friends to the Ohio State Cal game when we got just blown out of the oh, stadium. They're like, Lord. "Why are you making me come to these games?" Now they come. They're like, "Oh, that was fun. It was a good time." I mean, my last point is the four-year trajectory for most new coaches in college football or any college sport. Year one, you lose big. Year two, you lose small. Year three, you win small. Year four, you win big. Like, that's the trajectory you want. We are exactly on that path. (laughs) Exactly on that path. We're winning small. And is that unsustainable? Sure, in certain games. But that still means we're winning. Need to be there to help it out. Help it out. And do do it in our stead because we can't cheer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cheer doubly hard because we're not allowed to cheer, especially when we're number 15. So I uh, know that we're like cheering inside and trying to cheers gummy bears, but there's only so many gummy bears that Berkeley Bowl sells. Mm. And that pretty much wraps it up for us here on the Golden Blocks podcast. This was a fun one. Um, you can find me at Rob11HWNG and also Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. You can find our podcast Twitter at CGB Bearcast. If you're listening to this, you probably find found us somewhere. But in for other people, we are on Spotify, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. So please go and do all the things that you do on the internets and apps um, to to listen to us. But I think that's it. Oregon, did we get a review? We have not. We have not. I was told. You, I was told that we had a review. If you get a review, if you, check the reviews. Was there any reviews? I guess you can't check it on the website or on the app. I guess you got to go to the website. We'll do it. We'll right, do it there's next a rumor time. on the street that there's a review. Okay. We'll read it next week. But in the meantime, Oregon, 5 o'clock. I believe it's on Fox. I'll be in the stands. He will be in the stands. If you want to say hi, the best bet is like 4 o'clock before the game. Otherwise, I'm fully unavailable. But fully inebriated. <laughs> yeah, like fully like someone in survival mode with the – Bachelor party of like 19 Ducks fans and then me as the lone Cal fan. Uh, That's but, probably easy to spot. Oh, yes, it is. Because <laughs> they bought group seats and it's in the Oregon section. It's going to be all Oregon fans and then me in my jersey. There you go. You'll <laughs> be able to spot them. I think I'll be able to spot you from on TV. You'll see, you'll see me cheering when we win. You'll see me cheering. All right. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs>